Well, good morning. Good morning. We want to welcome all the campuses here as we come to continue our worship of the Lord by looking at His Word. And before we do that, <clears throat> I have three announcements that I want to uh, let you guys know about. First of all, if you would pull out your program that you got when you walked in and take out the sheet that says important dates to remember. A few weeks ago, about 1,300 of you gave feedback, and we appreciate that. We took all that feedback, looked at every one of them, looked at the echoes, and from that, the elders met together, the executive team met together, those who put all the echoes together met together, and we prayerfully determined about three major goals that we want to tackle over the next three years. So our next step is for you to hear those goals, see if you agree with those goals, see if you understand those goals, see how we can communicate them clearly. And that part of the process is it'll be at the different campuses at different times. So at the, all the different campuses, make sure you understand uh, when you're going to meet. Here at the South Hills, you have three opportunities. Uh, they are on the sheet, January 14, January 15, January 20. And we're asking you to sign up. Uh, for those times so that we know how many will be coming and how much food to have. One is an early morning, one's an evening, and one's an after church. would ask you to tear off this little part of the um, insert and write your name, how many kids. If you have kids uh, uh, you need taken care of, let us know that, and then drop it in the basket before you leave today. And November, on uh, February the 22nd, we will meet. We will be going over on that day strategy to put into effect the goals that we have determined. All this making sense? Your feedback, echoes, goals, strategy. That's February the 22nd. That's from 9 to 5. It's a Friday. As I told you, our consultant said that you would rather take a day off of work than lose your weekend. So we'll see if that works in Pittsburgh. We're still waiting to see. Uh, But uh, that'll be February the 22nd. All right, that's that. Uh, tomorrow, uh, Christmas Eve, but be sure to come one of the services, 1, 3, 5, and 7. Remember, invite someone who does not know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior or who doesn't have a church. 70% of those you invite will come if you ask them. So we encourage you to do that. We also, tomorrow, will be taking up uh, a collection, an offering, and that's for the Mercy Fund. We have a ministry called the Mercy Fund that takes care of individuals throughout the year who are going through a tough time. Uh, Sometimes maybe uh, it's a health issue. Uh, Sometimes uh, it's a loss of job. Uh, Sometimes it's marriage counseling. We use the Mercy Fund for marriage counseling as well. And so we take that offering and we use it throughout the year. We have a tremendous team uh, who um, oversees the the Mercy Fund, meets with people, uh, determines the needs, and then allocates uh, that money throughout the year. So that offering tomorrow will be taken specifically for the Mercy Fund, not for the operation, uh, uh, the general operation. Now, if you've looked at the general operation, we are a little behind this year, and we are encouraging uh, you to finish strong with us. We can finish strong together and see how the Lord, we are always going to depend on the Lord to provide exactly what we need to do what he's called us to do. And so uh, we encourage you to prayerfully determine how you can finish strong as we uh, wrap up 2018. All right, one more thing. I'm going to have Dave DiDonato and the elders in this service to come forward. 
We have elders at different campuses today, so not all, all of them are at the South Hills campus. And uh, most of you know Dave DiDonato. Dave joined our staff back in 2011, and Dave came on uh, to head up our ministry to college and young adults. Did a fantastic job with us, and we knew early on that we wanted Dave to be one of our campus pastors, and so... We started talking to him, and we started saying, Dave, we've got some ideas. Where would you like, to, where would you like to, to start a church? And Dave said, I'd love to start a church in the inner city. And so uh, through some contacts that Dave had in the Wilkinsburg area in uh, December the 24th, Christmas Eve, 2013, uh, Dave started the Wilkinsburg campus five years ago. It's crazy. And uh, it's been amazing. There are about 130 uh, individuals at the Wilkinsburg campus, and 70 are adults and 60 are kids. Isn't that crazy? That's great. <clears throat> Dave has done a fantastic job in leading that, in building that, in discipleship, all kinds of ministry, and it's exciting that we are now bringing Dave to minister to all of the campuses. He'll be overseeing all the campuses, and his new title will be associate pastor at the Bible Chapel. So we're very excited about that. Dave will be overseeing all the campuses, uh, several ministries, and preaching, and doing a lot of things here at the Bible Chapel. He already has started uh, January 1 is the official date, but he already has started. Now, in order for that to happen, Dave has been building up uh, people in Wilkinsburg, and one guy we're excited about who joined him uh, in, uh, Jan in, uh, in December of 2013 to be the worship pastor in Wilkinsburg is Ted Mitchell, who you see on the screen. Ted, can you hear us? Can you hear us? Long way to Wilkinsburg, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they can hear us out there. So Ted has been leading the worship. He'll continue to do that, and he'll be finding some other volunteers to help more with the worship. But he will now be, we're naming him, our campus pastor in Wilkinsburg. So we're very excited about that. Ted has a great team there. Jay Thompson, if you've not met Jay Thompson, you need to. Jay uh, heads up our ministry to the youth and young adults uh, in Wilkinsburg. He's doing a fantastic job. And so we're, we're, we're thankful and grateful to the Lord for providing uh, these young men and their families and uh, just uh, excited to see what God's uh, going to do over the next many, many years here at the Bible Shop. So let's stand in commission. Uh, Dave and Ted to the work of the Lord. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for what you're doing at our church. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And we thank you for Dave and Ted. We pray, first of all, Lord, for Dave. We commission him to you today. We're asking that you do great things in him and great things through him. We thank you, Father, for what you have already done. 
with Dave and his ministry in Wilkinsburg. We thank you for the people he has raised up to lead and for the investment in so many lives there. And we pray, Father, that you would be with him as he now takes another step to oversee the campuses and so many other ministries here at the Bible Chapel. We pray that you would bless him. We pray that you would protect him. We pray that you would protect his marriage and his family as he takes even a more visible role. We ask, Lord, that uh, you give him everything he needs to do what you're calling him to do. Again, we thank you so much that you brought him here and that you have raised him up for this day and this time. We thank you for Ted as well. We commission Ted to you. We thank you, Father, for Ted's passion for Wilkinsburg. We know he could have gone many other places, but he stayed there in Wilkinsburg because of his passion and commitment to that campus. And I pray, Father, that as he takes on the leadership role there, that you would bless him, that you would uh, protect his family, that you would protect his marriage. And, Father, through Ted, do great things in that Wilkinsburg campus. Lord, just take it to the level that's been built. Take it to another level, we pray. We thank you, Lord, for these guys. We thank you for their commitment to you. We thank you for their commitment to the Bible Chapel. And we just pray expectantly for all the things that you're going to do through them. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's thank these God again for these guys. All right, let's pray again before we open God's Word. Father, thank you for what you're doing in the life of our church. Thank you for all of our campuses. Thank you, Father, for the vision that you put on hearts of the elders years ago to start the campuses. And we pray, Father, now in this next stage of our ministry that you would help us solidify and meld together and do the things we need to do to make sure we are ready to continue to develop followers of Jesus Christ. But now, Father, we want to look at your word. And we know that you have something specific to tell us. We are good at hiding parts of our heart. I certainly am. And I pray, Father, that you would speak to all of us today. Use your word as that double-edged sword you say it is to cut through the stuff in our lives and allow us to see you and see how you want to change us and challenge us and, and, and mold us into, the, into the, the men and the women, the young uh, teenagers, the young adults, the husbands and, and wives, fathers, mothers that you want us to be. So, Lord, we are, we're, we are dependent on you. I have nothing to say unless it comes from your word. And so we're asking, Lord, your help today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, our Christmas series has been about the unselfie Christmas uh, 2018. Our purpose has been to do things differently this Christmas to keep our focus on Christ, keep away from the distractions, and make sure that this Christmas we demonstrate that we are full out, full orb followers of Jesus Christ. To this point, as we followed Christ during Christmas, we have seen 
him as the unselfish leader. His unselfish leadership is seen throughout Scripture. We have seen his unselfish service. We've seen his unselfish mission. And today, we want to look at his unselfish model here in John chapter 13. Now, it's interesting. The Gospel of John has 21 chapters. And in chapter 12, it begins what's called the Passion Week of Jesus. A lot of the other Gospels, for instance, Luke just uh, dedicates four chapters to that. But John says, I want to pack in all these things that happened in the last days of Jesus. And so often in the last days, when we know there's not much time left, we are going to really be drilling home some essential truths, and we're going to see Jesus do that today. Now, in John chapter 11, Jesus went before a grave. There was a man had been dead in the grave for days, and he yelled, Lazarus, Come forth, and this dead man walked from the grave. Can you imagine the buzz that was going around Jerusalem when Jesus raised a dead man from the grave? The buzz was so great that everyone wanted to see him. In fact, in chapter 12 is a triumphal entry. So he's going into Jerusalem on that Sunday, and the people are there. They're on the roads. They have palm branches. They're saying, Hosanna to the king. They are confident that Jesus is in Hebrew, the Messiah, in Greek, the Christ. He's the one. He's going to come, and he's going to establish a country just like they had under the leadership of King Solomon and King David, and it's going to be good again, and he's going to get them away from the oppression of Rome. Now, we do know, don't we, that the same people that were yelling Hosanna on Sunday are yelling crucify him by Friday. And so in chapter 13, we're nearing the end of the week, and Jesus is with his disciples for the last supper. This will be the last time he gets to interact with them in a personal way. Other passages tells us that he goes to an upper room. He finds an upper room. A lot of commentators think that was the house of John Mark, the gospel writer Mark. Later on in Acts, we see that it was a large house and a church met there. So they go up into the room, and Jesus has some things to teach the disciples. John chapter 13, verse 1, here's what he says. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from the world to the Father. Let's just stop there for one second. Jesus said, when John says, when Jesus knew that his hour had come. Jesus knew his hour had come. That is so significant because in that passage, it speaks of Christ's sovereignty. He was not a victim of circumstance. The religious leaders did not put him on the cross. Jesus, when his time was come in the perfect timing and time frame of God, He voluntarily died on the cross for our sins. It's interesting, in John chapter 2, some things happened. He said, my hour hadn't come yet. He says that twice in John chapter 7. My time has not come yet. But when we get to chapter 12, chapter 12, 23, Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. It is time. John uh, 12, 27, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. And then he says, this is the purpose. I have come to this hour. I have come to do God's will. So I just want to emphasize, Jesus is not a victim of circumstance. He is the sovereign Lord who knows exactly 
what time it is, what hour it is, and he is ready to voluntarily and willingly give his life for us. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. If you like to circle or highlight your Bible, circle the word end. In Greek, it's the word telos. It means to the full extent. It means with an accomplished purpose. It's the same word that Jesus uses, the same form of the word that Jesus uses at, on the cross, his last words, to telestai, it is finished. Everything is done. Mission accomplished. And here John says, he loved his own to the full extent, to the accomplished purpose. It is finished. Paid in full. Before that night was over, Jesus would be arrested, beaten, mocked, and as the evening turned into morning, flogged, and then the next day, nailed on a cross. He went as a willing sacrifice. And we, talk, we think about the, the physical pain, and it would have been excruciating. But that's not even half of it. Somehow, mysteriously, as Jesus was on the cross, every sin committed by man, every sin that would be committed by man, was laid on Jesus. So think about your sins just of this past week. Jesus died for them that day on the cross. Think about the words you've said, the thoughts you've had, the things you've seen. Jesus died for those sins on the cross. And God the Father poured out his wrath on God the Son. And Jesus died for our sins. The penalty of sin is death. And Jesus took that death so we didn't have to. See, when we trust in Jesus, here's what we're saying. We're saying, I believe you took my sin and you died for my sin on the cross. That's what I believe. That's what a believer believes. When we trust Jesus, that's what we're trusting him to do. He died for our sin, and we are clothed with his righteousness. First Peter says that Jesus bore our sin in his body on the cross. Second uh, um, Corinthians says it this way. Second Corinthians 5.21. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin. He's perfect. Jesus had no sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So think about that. Just let that soak in. Jesus died for your sin on the cross. When John says he loved us to the full extent. That's what he's saying. Now, the writer, the gospel writer John, also wants us to know, as Jesus is getting ready to do the Passover, that there's one person in the room. He wants to make sure we know this guy is in a room. And so he tells us in chapter 13, verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. 
So John's saying, don't forget when you read this story that Judas was right there in the room. Now, Judas had already gone to the chief priests and he had already collected the 30 pieces of silver. By the way, you know how much that is in American dollars today? About $7,500. So Judas had already collected the money and now he's in the room with Jesus at the Last Supper. As I was studying this, I was thinking, I don't know that I've thought of this before, but other than just being a betrayer and self-absorbed, you know what Judas' biggest issue was? Materialism. Kind of weird to think about. But his biggest issue was money. In John chapter 12, a woman had come to Jesus just a few days earlier. A woman had come to Jesus and had broken this expensive vase of, perfu- uh, of, of, of ointment, of perfume, and poured it over Jesus' head. And Jesus said, wherever the gospel is preached, that story is going to be told about that woman. She, she, got, she prepared me for death. But you know what Judas said? What a waste. We could have taken that, mo- uh, that vase, we could have sold it for a lot of money, and we could have given the money to the poor. But the gospel writer John says, he wasn't thinking about that at all. In fact, John says in uh, 12.6, he said this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. Having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. And now Judas is in the room. John wants to make sure we know he's in the room with Jesus the Last Supper. That night when the disciples would have entered the room... Uh, they would have entered, and they would have uh, walked past uh, a pitcher of water, uh, a basin, and a towel, a long towel. In that day, uh, they wore sandals, and the roads were dusty. Even if you go to Israel today, there's some stone uh, uh, roads, but they're still dusty, and so your feet would get dirty. When you ate, you reclined on your left side, ate with your right hand, and so your feet are going to be sticking in someone else's face as you recline around the table. So when you went to eat at someone's house, there would be a servant there, and the servant would wash your feet. Now, the disciples had been hanging out in Bethany about five miles from Jerusalem, and so they would have walked five miles. Their feet would have been filthy, but every one of them walked past the basin and the pitcher and the towel. Now, washing people's feet was not like the favorite gig of servants in that day. That was like for the lowest of the low, for the, for the, for the, for the guy who was in trouble, for the guy who draw the short, drew the short straw. And so the disciples, after this long walk, filthy feet are just content to eat, doing something they would never think about normally, but they're content to eat with all their feet just about a foot from another's face. So just imagine the scene. Jesus lets it all play out. Normally, you got your feet washed when you entered the room. Not this time. Jesus lets everyone go around the table with their filthy feet in each other's face. And then look at verse 4. Jesus rose from the table. He laid aside his outer garment, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. So he takes off his outer garment, 
He ties that long towel around his waist. And then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Think about what Jesus is doing. There's a lot of theology here. I'm not going to get in today. There's a lot of interaction with Peter and Jesus. But I want to focus just on Jesus washing the disciples' feet. So go down to verse 12. When he had washed their feet, so he washes all of, every one of them, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? Don't you believe the room was quiet? Do you understand what I've done to you? You see, you call me teacher and Lord, and, and you're right, for so I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to do what? Wash one another's feet. But that's unthinkable. But that's what Jesus said to do. And then in verse 15, Jesus said, For I have given you an example. The word is pattern, a model that you should do just as I've done to you. But Jesus, that's unthinkable. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, if these things are in your head, then you are blessed if you what? Do them. But Jesus, that's unthinkable. Note the action that Jesus calls us to. He says, first, you ought also <clears throat> wash the feet of one another. Then he says, you should do just as I have done to you. Then he says, if you know these things, you're only happy or blessed or satisfied or fulfilled if you what? If you get it done, it's not enough to talk about it. It's not enough just to have it in your head. You are blessed if you do them. Living a, living a life that Jesus has modeled for us is living a life of service to others. And what we see in this passage is this we are people of the towel people of the towel. One commentator says this. I love what he says. When Jesus said, do you know what I've done to you? He might have added, and do you know who you are as heirs of the towel? Heirs of the towel. If you're a believer, you are an heir of the towel. Five things to kind of put that into practice. Number one, heirs of the towel are in sync with the master of the towel. How do we know how to serve? Who are we to serve? What's it look like? Jesus gives his word so that we can be in sync with him 
so that we can serve the way he wants us to serve. And so 2019, we are challenging you, challenging myself, all of us, we're going to be in God's word every day, right? Five minutes a day. Five minutes in prayer. That's just a start. Five minutes a day in God's word. How do you know what the master is saying if you don't read what the master is saying? Here's his love letter to us. Now, we got a lot of tools to help you. You can sign up for a daily blog or a daily devotion that we do. You have something in your program to sign up for it right now if you want to do that. Put your email on there. We'll send it out to you every day. We're going to go through the Gospels, journey through the Gospels. So every day, we're going to take a portion of the Gospel. We're going to break it down. It's about a five-minute read. You can also, on your iPhone, listen to it if you want. It's just to get you started. It's just to get you thinking. It's just to get you in God's Word. Balls in your court. We're offering that tool to you. If you'd rather get another devotion, that's fine. Read God's Word on its own without a devotion. That's even better. But get in God's Word. If we're going to be heirs of the towel, we've got to be in sync with who? The master of the towel. So the first thing we have to do is to be in God's Word. Second thing, heirs of the towel are willing and ready to move from comfortable places to uncomfortable to do uncomfortable things. Here, I'm going to read that again. I'll see if I can get it right this time, all right? Heirs of the towel are willing and ready to move from comfortable places to do uncomfortable things. I think this story is so amazing because Jesus waits. He knows no one's going to get up and do anything, but he lets everyone have the opportunity, right? And he waits till everyone's at the table until everyone has said, in effect, no way I'm going to wash anyone's feet. And then he gets up and he does it. But washing the disciples' feet is nothing to what he did the next day when he died for us on the cross. He left heaven itself to do the most uncomfortable the most unimaginable thing and die for our sins. You willing to do that? If you're going to be stretched in 2019, if you're going to do Christmas different in 2018, you've got to be willing to get out of your comfort zone. I don't know what your comfort zone is. I don't know what your stretch point's going to be. That's between you and God. But here's all I know. When you stay in your comfort zone, Spiritually speaking, you get fat and happy and content. And when you step out of it, you get stretched. You have to demonstrate more faith. You have to say, God, I am out of my league. I am over my head. I need your help. I need your help every day. But today I really realize that I need your help. Out of your comfort zone. So Joanne Neeson was a member of our church for many years and served in a variety of ways with her husband, Ray, who passed away about five years ago. And Joanne uh, died uh, last Sunday, last Sunday morning. So her memorial service was this week uh, on Thursday. We had a celebration of life service. And so uh, I met with the family. Doug and Heidi are, are members of our church and their family, been members of our church for a long time. So 
met with Doug and Heidi before the memorial service just to talk with them. And I always love, you know, when, when we see someone, we always see a snapshot of someone. We see them at a particular time in their life. But at a memorial service, we like to play the whole video, the whole person's life and how God was at work in all their life. So, so Doug and Heidi were telling me some great stories. And, and one story in particular, Doug uh, told me, he, he said his mom just had a passion to reach out to those who were in need those who were needy. And so she learned through a situation that there was a family in um, the inner city who needed some help. Their, their uh, house was, let's just say, in ill repair. And so she got Doug and another guy to go with them, go with her down to this house. And so Doug said they get there, and it is a mess, and, uh, and, and they are shoveling raw sewage into a bucket, and then the guy with them is taking the bucket and dumping it in the toilet, and they did it for about two hours until they realized that dumping it into the toilet was the issue, and it was just coming out the other side where they had been working. And he said his mom, they looked at each other and just started laughing as hard as they could. And then after a while, his mom looked at him and said, to a teenager, I am so proud of you. And so years later, what story is Doug telling? He's telling the story about getting out of uncomfortable places, comfortable places to uncomfortable places. I'd say shoveling raw sewage is a pretty uncomfortable place, wouldn't you? And he remembered that story. And he said, Doug was saying, all the, all the memories, all the memories that he had of his mom, and there were many, he said, that was, the, well, that was one of the greatest memories for my mom and me for the rest of our lives. Are you willing to leave comfortable place to do uncomfortable things? That's what we're called to as heirs of the town. Number three. And I'll tell you up front, I don't like this one. Number three. Heirs of the Tao even serve their enemies. Remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? Remember John wanted us to know who was in the room? Judas, who had just betrayed, sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus washed the feet of Judas. So this is kind of hard, doesn't it? Washing the feet of our enemies. So how are you going to serve that spouse that you're pretty hurt by right now? Ex-spouse that seems to be continually hurting you. The person who has been saying some stuff behind your back. The, the boss who let you go for no reason at all. A person who has undercut you. A person who has criticized you unjustly. That's hard stuff, isn't it? Heirs of the Tao. Pray for and serve even their enemies.
Okay, that's too convicting. Let's just keep, let's keep moving on. Number four. Heirs of the Tao look for opportunities to serve. Heirs of the Tao look for opportunities to serve. Now, here at the Bible Chapel, we have a lot of ministries, probably too many ministries. We have, you can go online, and you can get your assessment, your gift assessment. And we will meet with you, and we will sit with you, and we'll try to find the place for you to serve. And we'll do that, and that's great, and we're happy to do that. And heirs of the towel don't wait on other people to always find them the place to serve. Heirs of the towel can't help but serve. They've got the towel. Jesus gave them the towel. They're not going to let the towel sit there. They're going to find a place to serve. They're going to find a place to get something done. They're not going to think about it. And they're not going to blame it on others who didn't allow them the opportunity to serve. They've got the towel. They're not going to let their towel just sit there. Heirs of the towel find a place to serve. So you guys know that we've been... Um, uh, asking for comments and, and um, stories of uh, how you do an unselfish uh, Christmas. And so I got this. This was an email. Uh, this is called 10 for Him. 10 for Him. And so here's how this works. Just throwing this out. You may like it or not. It didn't come from... If you like it, I thought this up. Uh, <laughs> if you don't like it, I get it in an email from someone. All right. 10 people... $10, 10 months, 10 minutes a month. And you get these 10 people together, you gather them around, you put $10 each in an envelope, so that's 10 times 10, that's $100 in an envelope. Put names in an envelope, <clears throat> you pull out a name, that person, that month is responsible for the $100, and they are to pray with other nine people praying with them, how are they going to use that to bless somebody else. Now, $100 is just $100. That's just the excuse to be praying and determine how are you going to bless someone else. They get back in a month. They um, talk about it. They share the story. They only meet for 10 minutes. They pray. They draw a name out again, and they do the same thing. 10 people, $10, 10 months, 10 minutes a month. This person wrote, here's the end result. God, it's not about the money. God opens your eyes to the needs of others all around you every, all caps, every day. God opens your eyes to the fact that you don't have to wait until you have the envelope to meet the needs of others. Others are blessed, and you may never know the impact of the outcome. That's the cool part. So I don't know if you like that or not. Just find your own way to use your towel. Because as believers, we are heirs of the Tao. Last one. Heirs of the Tao teach their children to serve. A servant's Tao is the best heirloom you can leave for your kids. That's what Joanne Neeson did for Doug, right? My mom and I loved sharing that moment and that story together. 
A friend texted me this week and said that they are hosting four Chinese students in their home. Remember, we've been challenging you to host some international students through the Prism Ministries, Pittsburgh Regional International Student Ministry. They're hosting four Chinese students in their home. Scott Boyd, who heads up that ministry, texted me this week and said, uh, through the Bible Chapel, uh, 13 international students are being uh, hosted. Uh, Seven from Muslim backgrounds and six from Chinese, who are Chinese students or visiting scholars. And so he gave me the list of the names. You know what the cool part was? I, I was thinking, okay, these are going to be empty nesters. These are going to be people who, you know, whose kids are with the in-laws this, this, uh, uh, this holiday. No. You know who they were? Three of the five names had teenagers or younger. I thought, how cool is that? Because those parents wanted their kids to see what it's like to serve international students during the holidays. Now, that's not a guilt trip on the rest of us. We didn't. On the rest of us, I'm just saying that's one way that we can show our kids, among many ways, that we can show our kids how to use the towel. Where are your children going to use, going to learn to use the towel if you don't teach them? And would you want them to learn it from somebody else when God has placed them in your family? I always chuckle to myself when, when you read social, uh, social, uh, I can't think of the word, so never mind. But, uh, um, social stuff. Uh, when you read social stuff, it's always, I chuckle to myself because every generation always is amazed at, at how the next generation acts, right? So our parents were amazed at the baby boomers. They raised us. We we're amazed at the millennials. We raised them. We gave them the phone. They're always on their phone. You gave them the phone. So as Bob Fredo always says when we do the parenting classes, be the parent. Be the parent. Teach your kids how to use the towel. A few years ago, John Piper was speaking at a, um, a passion conference. It's a conference for college students, usually around this time of the year. And he was talking about not talking to the college students. Don't allow your past sin to keep you from serving in the future. Listen to what he says. The great tragedy is not mainly being defeated by sin. The tragedy is that Satan uses the guilt of these failures to strip you of every radical dream you ever had or might have and in its place give you a happy, safe, secure American life of superficial pleasures until you die in your lakeside rocking chair, wrinkled and useless, leaving a big fat inheritance to your middle-aged children to confirm them in their worldliness. That's the main tragedy. We can't fix what happened yesterday, can we? It's done. 
But beginning right now, beginning today, we can decide to follow the leader, to follow the example of Jesus, to use the servant's towel, and to show our kids how to use it as well. And the best thing you can leave for your kids, not a boatload of stuff, so they can be happy and safe and secure in the American life of superficial pleasures. But the best, the best heirloom you can leave your kids is a well-worn, threadbare what? Servant's town. One of these days, maybe tomorrow, maybe 30 years from now, one of these days, your casket's going to be setting, or your urn, going to be setting about right here, or some church like this. And your life on earth is going to be done. And someone, maybe your kids, are going to be standing about right here on a little platform. And they're going to be sharing stories about you. What stories are they going to be sharing? You're a great bridge player? Yeah. Great golfer? You made a lot of money. I've never heard kids share those stories. But the best stories are like the ones I heard this Thursday. Our mom taught us how to serve. Our mom loved Jesus. We know without a doubt where she is right now. Not because of who she was but because of who she followed. See, the best thing you can leave for your kids is that worn out, thread, bare, say it with me, servant's towel. Father, I pray that you would help us do the things in our lives we need to do in order to be the servants you called us to be. Jesus, you have set the example for us. And you've said, it's great when you know these things, but you're blessed when you do it. So help us, Father, starting today to get it done. In Jesus' name, amen.